Edwards Life Sciences would like to express our gratitude for all those on the front lines of responding to this fluid situation with COVID-19. We appreciate the strong leadership and dedication of healthcare providers to patients around the world, and we express our care and concern for you during this challenging time. You're listening to Rock's Heart Radio. This month, Roxana Mehran highlights Black Lives Matter. Wayne Batchelor and Icy Fergus offer their insight on racism in cardiology and how to move ahead. Hello, this is Roxana Moran from Mount Sinai Hospital coming to you on Rock's Heart Radio. We have an incredible, incredible conversation today with two of my closest colleagues, um, my brother and sister, I call them, but we are, um, uh, we're very, very thrilled to have these esteemed guests on our show focused on Black Lives Matters. Um, I have uh, with me uh, first, ladies first, uh, Dr. I.C. Fergus, Associate Professor of Medicine at the ICANN School of Medicine uh, at Mount Sinai. Uh, one of my colleagues right here, uh, we've been um, close friends and working together for many years. Uh, she's the Director of Cardiovascular Disparities here at Mount Sinai Health System as well as an, a past president of the American Black Cardiologists um, from 2014 and 16. Welcome, IC. It's wonderful to have you. If you don't mind, I'm going to call you guys with your first names. Um, is that okay, Dr. Fergus? Absolutely. If I call you IC? I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I love having you here. Thank you so much. Um, and then, of course, my other esteemed guest is uh, Dr. Wayne Batchelor. Um, uh, a, an incredible interventional cardiologist whom I've known and collaborated with over the last, I, I hate to say it, Wayne, but it's more than 15 years, almost 20 years we know each other. Um, we served together at the, and he continues to serve at the ACC Interventional Council uh, as a board member, as well as, of course, um, the TBT registry. But importantly, he is the Director of Interventional Cardiology uh, and uh, a Director of Research and Education of the entire INOVA Health Systems in Virginia, which is a massive health system. And he is Associate Professor of Medicine at Florida State University. Uh, he's been a previous board member and a lifetime member of um, a board of trustees of the American Black Cardiologist. Wow, we are really, really very, very glad and, and um, uh, honored to have both of you on our program. Welcome, Wayne. Thank you so much, Roxana. So um, it's wonderful to have you, and I, uh, I'm proud to, uh, to have uh, CRF support and, of course, uh, TCTMD and through this platform. Um, to begin the, the difficult conversation that has been out there, uh, but really rarely spoken about, although we, we hear talking about it. Wayne, you have run several, several uh, sessions and led several scientific sessions on disparities of healthcare uh, for our Black patients. And unfortunately, we don't see many people attending those sessions. Uh, especially in interventional meetings. And I've done the same thing for women. And as you know, we just sit there in those lonely rooms. Uh, but I know also, I see you've been working in Harlem. You want to tell me a little bit about the program you're, you're doing in Harlem and what it's been like to be a Black cardiologist trying to do your best to take care of patients uh, 
who are diverse and of uh, backgrounds uh, who are black and Hispanic? Sure, I'd be happy to talk about that. So um, immediately before coming to Mount Sinai in 2011, I was the chief of cardiology at Harlem Hospital, which is located in central Harlem. And it's a health and hospital uh, corporation uh, type of uh, environment, which means it's a city ho uh, hospital. So you see the sickest and the poorest people um, who come into that hospital. So they're, they're usually at highest need, they're sickest. And of course, that hospital um, was not um, you know, endowed or capable of really uh, meeting the needs of, of these individuals. And furthermore, um, if, you do, um, if you do the research and, and you look at um, the morbidity and mortality of uh, people who live in Central Harlem, they're among the highest, not only in New York City, but um, in the entire United States. So based on that, I said, well, clearly something has to be done. We're not moving the needle. You still see these statistics, still leading causes of death, still you know, lower life expectancy, still all of these um, very um, morbid types of predictions. So I said, so how can I reach people at a level where they can understand that can resonate with them and um, you know, sort of create impact? And so um, we began a series of, um, uh, if you want to call them workshops on a monthly basis um, at a central um, location that people could get to, even people uh, who were physically handicapped. Um, it was right across some Harlem Hospital and, and has continued until recently. Unfortunately, we've not been able to meet in person because of COVID. But Roxana, these, are, these were some really wonderful, fantastic workshops. And one of these days, hopefully you'll get to come out to them because uh, various Mount Sinai faculty come out. So basically we focus on a different topic um, each month. And besides a didactic presentation, um, they get to in, get involved with things like food demos, exercise, uh, meditation, um, you know, questions. Yeah, well, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to hear that you've been so active in that community. But I gotta tell you, um, you know, when I'm hearing all that's going on with George Floyd and Black Lives Matters and all these wonderful protests, peaceful protests that are going on around the country, around the globe in, in uh, support of Black Lives. How shameful are we as cardiologists who have been not paying attention to this, especially for our Black patients? The disparities of care are tremendous. Um, and, and you obviously are doing what you're doing, but Wayne, what does that feel like? You're a black cardiologist trying to do your best, yet you're seeing horrible numbers, and you led the diversity the um, the uh, the diversity trial, uh, looking at uh, stenting in black patients. You want to tell me how to, how does that feel to to watch that and say yes, Black Lives Matters, and we're not doing anything in cardiology to make sure that they're staying healthier and better. Well, thanks, Roxana. And I must say, having been involved in a number of these efforts for many years and obviously being a, a black um, cardiologist myself, it feels sometimes like you're screaming into an empty room. And I think that sort of also epitomizes some of the sessions we've put on. I mean, CRF has been really uh, good at uh, supporting uh, disparity programs at some of the scientific sessions, such as the TCT. But when you actually put the session on, and we have phenomenal speakers, historically the rooms have been more empty than full. So 
what I'm hoping is that this movement maybe will change uh, some of that and make it feel as though this is a real national priority. Um, historically, when you think of you know, the uh, issue of George Zimmerman being acquitted of the shooting of Trayvon Martin, um, Michael Brown's shooting um, uh, that protests, uh, uh, that does spark protests in Ferguson, Missouri, Missouri. This recent George uh, Floyd response is different. This is a majority, you know, two-thirds of the entire country feels that it's justified. They're on board. And so my hope is that we'll take the momentum that we've garnered from, unfortunately, from this very unfortunate incident and several incidents, and, and turn it into something that's real, durable, and that really leaves an indelible mark. And I think this is, if, if we don't do it now, we never will, because this is different. I think all of us across the country feel that there's, this is a palpable difference from you and I, you know, 15 years ago talking about disparities and putting on programs. Um, we can talk about platinum diversity uh, separately, which is an effort that we put on, but I just want to say that I'm hoping that this will, um, this is a different phenomenon. This, mo this movement is much more real than it has been because it involves the majority, not just the minority. And Roxanne? Yeah, so, yeah, so are you thinking, um, what I'm hearing in your voice, which is so, so passionate, and I love that in you, you have so much passion, and same thing with you, I see, I know both of you deeply and personally. Am I hearing that we are going to have a movement that says Black Lives Matters in medicine? Aren't you tired of seeing that our Black patients are more often, um, you know, with more, more comorbidities, less optimal medical therapy, less often given the cutting edge technologies that could save their lives? Are you, are you thinking that that's sort of the movement that we could we could lead this country into and actually make an impact in improving the health outcomes of our black patients with cardiovascular disease? So if I can answer that, I say absolutely yes. I think that um, this movement that's going on right now galvanizes people, um, wakes them up, uh, lets them take a different look at the things that um, they before maybe took for granted. Um, um, and sort of misinterpreting um, how people present. Like for instance, maybe some of the black patients, they come in with a level of mistrust of their uh, providers and um, they're not opening up, but providers on their end may not really delve into the issues that are really uh, contributing to all these chronic um, you know, conditions that they have because they may have preconditioned or preconceived notions that this is a non-compliant non-adherent patient who's not eating right, who's not taking their medications and things like that. Uh, maybe, you know, taking a different look, a different approach, maybe taking into consideration some of the social determinants of health, culture, et cetera. You know, really taking a deeper look at, at individuals. Uh, there is a slide that shows um, three boys trying to look over the fence at a game, Roxana, and um, there's a tall boy, a medium-sized boy, and a short boy. And they were all given one box, Roxana, to stand on. So what happens is the tall boy the box could see well over the fence. The, the middle boy was okay with the one box, but the little boy still couldn't see over the fence. Um, and so that's uh, called equality. But equity 
is where um, the small boy was given two boxes and the big boy didn't need a box and now everybody could see over the fence. So I kind of look at it um, like that from the perspective of looking at black and brown individuals and why it's not that their lives only matter. It's like um, take a deeper look at their lives so that it really matters and give them what's needed to um, achieve equity for all. So that means maybe you have to go more into a particular group, uh, approach things differently, uh, provide more resources, uh, including Roxana uh, providing or making it easy for them to find providers look and sound like them or providers who are empathetic. And, and that's something I don't know if you're going to get into. But um, yeah, I want to talk about that because, I mean, I think for years and years, you know, we've been working very, very hard at ACC and there's the whole diversity platform uh, that ACC has launched and will be working very, very hard. Uh, the idea is the leaking pipeline of the best talented individuals. There are no women in cardiology, but there are much, much even less black cardiologists, male or female. How can we change that narrative, Wayne? What can we do? Because we do know very, very well that when a black patient is cared for by a black doctor, that they just do better. It's the same way as uh, when women take care of female patients with cardiovascular disease, there's a, there's a better outcome. What can we do to change this narrative? Yeah, so excellent question. And I would go further to say that if you look at who looks after uh, people of color in the United States, um, blacks, Hispanics, American Indians, and others, it's actually minority physicians. Minority physicians account for the majority of care for people of color. So there, there is a pipeline issue that is really crucial to just ensuring um, the public health of our, of our citizens across the country. So what can we do? Um, you know, I think recruitment, training, and how we look at um, the pipeline is crucial. And I think the earlier we start in this, the better. Um, you know, many people think that by the time you're 12 to 15 years old, much of your future is already etched in stone. We would hate to believe that in the United States, but unfortunately, a lot of things can disadvantage you in your first 10 to 20 years of life, some of which are almost insurmountable. So, you know, really trying to reach out to young people and get into schools and understand how to germinate that interest early on is crucial. It's a very difficult thing to do, but it's really important. I think just the fact that we're talking about implicit bias and systemic racism is crucial. I think we have to switch the, the um, sort of change the lens uh, through which we view these issues. Historically, a lot of people just think that, you know, um, you know, if we, you know, everything's equal in the United States and really there's no real issue with this. And the reality is there, there are huge issues still. And this, you know, this stems from obviously hundreds of years of slavery and also deprivation following that and unequal access. So how do we, how do we change that for the better? It's going to take um, investment time, money, and, um, and real effort. And I think the first thing to do is recognize that it's there and talk about systemic racism and implicit bias. I think that should be part of onboarding for any major leadership within healthcare, for medical school training and, and postgraduate training, so that we all understand how these things play out day-to-day -day in our day-to-day -day activities with our patients, 
with our human resource issue um, and uh, patient care research. I mean, this spans so many different things. But the question that you ask is such a very complex question. You almost have to come at it from the perspective of patient care, medical school, recruitment, training, human resource opportunities, and support once you're a physician, a minority physician, and you, you still need to be given opportunities for growth and, um, and, uh, and movement. And that's a very difficult thing, but I think the only way to deal with this is to, you, to work, cardiologists should work within our existing infrastructure and organizations, the ACC, the ABC, the AHA, and others, but also outside of these infrastructures to sort of reach up to our broader community. And we haven't done that as physicians historically. We're not very good political politicians. We're not good at, as good as we should be at reaching out beyond just the walls of medicine yeah. to influence politics, and that, that, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, we haven't done a good job. We've got to do better. Um, so, Wayne, um, tell me about how you got um, into medicine. Uh, tell us about your background yeah. and why you, you chose medicine and, and interventional cardiology. There are very, very few uh, black cardiologists who are interventionalists. Uh, tell us your yeah. story. Well, um, you know, I, I, was, I was actually born in Jamaica, as you can tell by my thick Jamaican accent. Um, <laughs> and I grew up in Canada. I was, only, I was only in Jamaica for a year. And my father was a, a civil engineer professor. Um, he was actually the first PhD-trained civil engineer in the history of Jamaica. Um, so I was lucky. Um, and I, I, I don't think people can understand just how much luck plays into this. You know, uh, I had some aptitude, but honestly, I just had two really solid parents who, uh, my mother was a nurse, um, so that's the healthcare connection. I love science, I love math, and I had parents who told me to reach for the top and, suffer, and uh, settle for nothing uh, uh, than uh, being, trying to be the best. Did and you ever, that was did the adage. Yeah, did you ever um, feel or um, note racism while you were oh, in medicine? There, I don't think there's a single day of my life that I don't, stop and think about my race or something is not out there that, to remind me of that. I mean, mm -hmm. there are all sorts of crazy stories that I'm sure anyone uh, who's black or, uh, or, or a minority uh, can, can, can relate uh, to. A uh, couple quick examples. Um, you know, I was the only black person in my medical school class and uh, anytime any issues came up with the race, you know, immediately you have everyone turning to you kind of like you're the sole voice uh, 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 representing a whole race. And uh, um, I can tell you when I was um, training in Toronto as an uh, intern, one of my first experiences was riding my bike from one hospital to another, and I got pulled over by the police. I couldn't understand why a siren was going behind me. I thought they were pulling over a car. I got pulled over by the police and um, asked for my license. And the end of this, the short story is they thought that I matched the description of someone who had stolen a bike. So I'm, you know, these are just crazy experiences that you have as a black person mm -hmm. just doing normal activities. You know, I was going to, from one hospital to another, Toronto Hospital of St. Mike's to participate in some rounds. And I got pulled over. I was late at the end for the rounds. And then, you know, I'm embarrassed. I'm angry. These are just some ridiculous yeah. things that sometimes you have to go through. So that adds a little personal side to it, but there, are, you know, it's, I can't tell you how many little, little incidences and various things come up. Um, when I was 
first starting out as a cardiologist, I'd walk into a room and someone would ask me to take up the tray, you know, thinking mm-hmm. that I was there to pick up the tray, right? And then I'd pick up the tray, come back and say, I'm, I'm here to do your stent procedure, let's talk. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's out there, it's real, and, you know, and, you know, and I don't, I don't want to... Yeah, I mean, we feel it on. as women, but I think it must be even, uh, even more, you know, I always get mad that every time, you know, I'm on the executive committee of some trials and they go, oh, there's a gender analysis, that would be good for you to do, Roxana. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a very similar thing, and I think it's just a, it's the same thing. I see. What about your story? Tell us about... Um, your story and how you got interested in medicine. Yeah, I mean, I was just listening to Wayne and it was just really, you know, sad for me to hear to hear what he was saying. And Roxana, let me just couch this by saying the only 2% of the workforce who are Black cardiologists and only 8% of medical students who are Black uh, students. Um, and, we're, and we make up 13% of the uh, country. So uh, very, very uh, small percentage. But, my family came from the island of Montserrat, and um, it's a small island, and I think uh, I was lucky. Uh, can you hear me? Because there's a little feedback. I don't know why there's a feedback now. I, I hear you well. Keep going. Yeah, so um, I think that was a, a very um, a lucky thing for me as well, um, from what Wayne was saying, because um, Montserrat is a very small island. It's a British island. Um, it was uh, populated by the Irish. So a lot of people live on that island and um, people weren't necessarily looking at you as black, white or whatever. You were a person from Montserrat. So I, I, in my early life, I didn't, you know, see, I didn't think of there was not anything that I could do. And so I always, you know, sort of aspired um, to do the best that I could do because that's what I was raised, you know, to do. Um, uh, my family in the Caribbean, they had, a, my great-grandfather had a plantation, others worked for um, for him, et cetera. So they always, you know, always thought that I could do whatever I wanted to do. I was a valedictorian in high school here. I went to Harlem Prep, and then I went on to uh, medical school. But as I, I found Roxana, as I ascended the ladder and went up higher, um, that's when, you know, I started to see certain things and being a woman and being a black person, that's being a double minority. But in my head, I'm like, I'm just going to do my thing. I'm not even thinking about anything. Um, I think one of the biggest things starting in medical school, um, and I went to a SUNY downstate. Well, first of all, before that, when I went to, um, Columbia Barnard undergrad, the same thing like Wayne, I was one of, uh, maybe the only black person in a lot of the classes. So people would think that I had all the answers for whatever was going on in the black community. And I'm like, you know, some of this is not even relevant or referenced to me because, um, I, I may not understand certain things of what was going on. So I can't give you all the answers, but I was on rounds, um, in medical school and, um, my, my, uh, professor was white and the other three guys, um, on the rounds were all white males and I was the only female and the only black person. And he asked a question that was very, a tough question. And I knew the answer. And the professor said, said to the boys, looked at them, the other, the other students and said, how does she know the answer? And you all don't, don't come back here tomorrow, um, not knowing answers and, 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 and have her be able to answer those, those questions. And I was flabbergasted, you know, um, at that the professor said that because it was like, 
it, it made me feel like, oh, I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't know these answers. Maybe I shouldn't be speaking up, you know, but I was always a person who spoke up no matter what. So that made my resolve that Roxana, whatever I did, I was going to try and do it 10 times better just so I could be considered equal. Um, at the time, when I did my fellowship at um, Cornell and uh, we lived on the, uh, we lived, you know, right there on 70th street. Yeah. We had to drop off. Um, one morning I, I had to get to the CCU. I was in my scrubs. I had to drop my son off to school, Catholic school uh, in 80, on 86th street. And I was taking the bus. And uh, this is a different type of um, implicit racism. People don't even know that they're being racist, but um, uh, this wonderful woman, and I'm sure she probably had no malintentions, but she saw me in the scrubs and she was like, first she said, what are you, a nurse? So I said, no, I'm a doctor. Then she goes, well, what type of doctor are you? I said, I'm a cardiologist in training. She said, oh my goodness, your family must be so proud. Are you the first person in your family to be a doctor and, and what do they think of you? You must be the celebrity in your, in your family. So, you know, the way she was talking as if, you know, how, you know, you are, you must be the shining example for your family, wherein I have, you know, several doctors in my family, cousins, et cetera. So it's not a big deal. My mother doesn't even listen to what I have to say, you know, so they don't consider it. They just, you know, consider the fact that, okay, whatever you, you are a doctor, but, this is the, um, you know, what people do. I've had at Cornell where, I, as a cardiology fellow, I went to pull out a sheet, right, out of somebody. That time, you know, I don't know if you still do it in intervention, you guys do it, but you used to have to sit and hold somebody's groin for four hours or whatever when you took the clamp off. And I was the um, senior fellow that night at Cornell, and, and I came into the room. This was actually a brown person, a Hispanic male patient, uh, everybody else, my junior fellows were white, the nurses were white, everyone. But when I came into the room to pull the sheet, um, he goes, you're the one who's going to do this procedure? I said, yes. She said, he said, no offense, but you don't look like a doctor. So I'm like, what is a doctor supposed to look like? And his thought was like, he literally said an old white male. <laughs> so I said, yeah. That I'm the well, you know, these stories are unbelievable, but mm -hmm. the two of you are amazing. I can't thank you enough for the time you've given us, the open conversation. And I think of this as such a, and, and you know, Wayne, what you, when you said this feels different, I hope to God it is because we absolutely must take care of the, the, the lack of diversity in medicine, in cardiology and enhance the health outcomes of our black patients who are in such a dire straits of real equality of care. And the two of you are the ones who are making that possible, but you're only this, the building blocks and we've got to work hard to build this house. And we've got a couple of bricks, but we've got to, we're gonna do it. And I think now uh, this is a huge opportunity uh, and I'm hoping that um, there will be a sea change and that we will be able to accomplish all the wonderful things that you want to do and have been doing and get the country behind you, the NIH, the FDA, the, um, the president, the, the, you know, everyone behind you to guys to support this and to not, so that one day we will not have to say that Black Lives Matters, that all lives matters, and that we shouldn't be um, having to do this. But for now, Black Lives Matters. 
and we need to continue on this wonderful journey that the two of you have been on for over 20 years. Thank you for coming and spending your um, afternoon with me. Uh, and, uh, and I can't wait to have you back on the show. I think there'll be more episodes of this and we'll invite you back. Thank you. Thank you for having Great. me. Thanks, Roxanne. Really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah.